0: Good evening. Official figures out today show the number of people crossing the Mediterranean has doubled. Yep, it's doubled from this time last year. Well over 100,000 people have crossed the Med this year. Many of them directly brought into ports in Italy and elsewhere by the non-governmental organisations. I warned them back in 2015. There I was right next to Jean-Claude Juncker. I said... If you say that anyone that sets foot on EU soil can stay, they will come in their millions, and sure enough, they have. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because you might remember, some of you, I posed in front of a poster of a long, snaking column of young men trying to break into the EU, and the argument was that I was putting at the time, this won't stop, but with Brexit, it'll be the EU's problem, their own stupidity, and not ours. But, rest assured, as things stand... Many of those who've crossed the Mediterranean will want to come to the UK. Why wouldn't you? Come on. What other European country gives you a four-star hotel, three square meals a day, £38 a week spending money, dental care, medical care, and the chance, when you're not eating in the hotel or loitering around the outside of it, to go and work in the illegal economy for cash? This is where they want to come to. It's just as simple as that. And today... In my channel, it has been busy. Well, when I say busy, I mean really, really busy. We are predicting here at GB News that over a thousand people will be in the official figures tomorrow that have crossed the English Channel. In fact, it started at sort of half past midnight. And astonishingly, lifeboats from as far east as Ramsgate and as far west as Eastbourne were out today. That's a 63 mile stretch of English coast. Only the second time that I'm aware of that the Eastbone lifeboat has been scrambled for a migrant operation. And what that tells you is that on the other side of the channel, they are pushing off from a wider and wider area. Some of you thought last night I'd gone soft when I said it was very difficult for the French police. Believe you me. If the French authorities are, gonna, are really going to police 60 miles plus of French beach, they'd need 10 or 20,000 troops on the beaches. It is now virtually impossible. The problem isn't the French. Let's stop blaming everybody else. The problem is us. We didn't complete Brexit. We didn't get a proper Brexit. We haven't got back control of our borders. But another element to this, do you remember sort of four or five years ago, you'd see news reports about people illegally stowing away in lorries? Well, I guess you thought that had all gone away. Because to my knowledge, I don't think any broadcaster in Britain has covered the lorry story at any point this year. Everyone's focused on the boats. That's because of their visibility but the lorry story has not gone away well joining me is gb news's home affairs and security editor mark white mark no talk at all about those coming in by lorry but our intrepid reporters what have we found
1: Well, they've been out and about in France really for a few days, seeing, of course, the small boats heading off from the beaches there, the efforts by the French police to stop them. But in addition to that, we've been around the ports looking at what was happening in particular at Calais. That was a port that for many years had people scaling the fences there, trying to get in to the lorry parks and on board those lorries for the journey across the Channel, either by train or by ferry. And while it has reduced, it's still there, ticking over about seven and a half, eight thousand 8,000 a year who are being detected in UK ports, having made that journey. What we don't know, Nigel, is how many have actually made that journey successfully on these lorries because, actually, not all the lorries that come across are checked, even though Border Force is very good at that now. They have these CO2 probes that they put into yeah. the the back of the, the lorries well, and the trailers. Well, that's what
0: we've been told. I mean, we've basically been told the problem had gone away, but it hasn't.
1: The problem is still there. The problem is still significant in the sense that, Thousands are still crossing every year. And the thousands uh, of people who can't afford thousands of pounds to get on the small boats, that's the option that they believe is open to them. That's why they're still doing it. And what you see trying to take that particular route is a lot of sub-Saharan Africans uh, who are trying to get across, not trying to get into the asylum system, unless, of course, they're caught and then 93% of them go on to claim asylum. Uh, But it's believed that most of them disappear off into the illegal Yeah, we've had
0: a report in today from a GB News viewer saying they'd come back from France with a caravan. And when they got back to the United Kingdom you know, stopped and someone jumps out of the caravan and disappears and they ring the Home Office, they ring the police and no-one's really interested.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. And what we were seeing uh, in those days of filming, especially around the port, are in the dead of night, in fact, even in the daytime, you know, it's so blatant uh, that if a lorry pulls up at a junction or is in... Uh, one of the lorry parks, uh, they're, they're checking them out underneath, looking for any spaces at all mm. that they can get in on board the lorry for the journey across. Ideally, they want to be in the trailer and somewhere hidden inside and just, you know, trust to luck that that's a particular lorry that won't be checked. Then when they get to the UK, next filling station they stop at, yeah, they're, out. they're out.
0: Yeah. And back to the channel, which has the great visibility. We're confident of over 1,000 today... Um, Weather looking quite settled, I think, for the next few days as well. And increasing evidence that the Albanians aren't just coming in numbers, but the Albanian gangs are starting to take this trade over.
1: Coming in numbers and doing it seems a very efficient and increasingly efficient job at advertising and getting people to come across. There are thousands now around Dunkirk and around Cali and to a lesser extent around Boulogne looking for opportunities to get to the UK. The prices have been slashed uh, by, in some cases, up to two or 3,000 to get people on these boats. And they're responding. If this uh, according to our producer in Kent, today is true. More than a 1,000 in a single day easily outstrips the previous record this, for this year, for this year yeah. which was 696,000 yeah. that was recorded on the 1st of August, so now more than a thousand, at least twenty boats that have crossed and you mentioned earlier, started just after midnight actually last night. Twelve thirty, the Dover lifeboat came into Dover Harbor. That was followed by Ramsgate lifeboat coming in with fifty-eight people on board that they taken off two small boats and it's continuing out in the channel as we speak.
0: It's continuing. Mark White, thank you very much indeed. So the question really is what's to be done? Is there any means of stopping this? Or is what we're seeing in the Mediterranean going, as I confidently predict it will, to finish up on our shores with numbers going up and up and up? We're certainly through 22,000 for this year. Uh, goodness knows where it could be by the end of the year unless something, anything, gets done. Well, joining me is border and security analyst and expert. you spent a lifetime, Henry Bolton, looking at issues such as this. Me. Uh, we need solutions. When I had Tony mm-hmm. Abbott, I had Tony Abbott, the former Australian Prime Minister, sitting in that chair yep. last Tuesday, talking about how he managed to solve the problem. And yes, he got international condemnation for doing what he did, but he solved the problem. He how did. bad a mess are we in?
2: We're in a real mess, Nigel. Um, it just let's look at the numbers at the moment. So far this year, we're on track. So far this year, to have three times the number of people cross the Channel that we've got combat personnel in the British Army. Now that's, you know, just as a sort of a comparison figure, if you like, yeah. um, it's a massive problem. And I'm really glad that it's now being highlighted that people are still coming across in trucks. I think GB uh, News are doing quite a good job I, on this. I, indeed, yeah. and I would echo Liz Truss on that. Um, you know, the facts are coming out on GB News. But the, the thing is that back in February, the figures were reported for those that have been detected coming in on trucks, and it was 30% higher than the, the year before. Okay, it was still COVID, but it doesn't affect the migrant wish to come across. What we've got is a Home Office that, frankly, hasn't got any idea how to respond to this. They don't have the expertise. Mobility in the civil service has meant that historical lessons learnt, if you like, from when we were very good at this in the early 2000s for six years The the UK ran a programme to actually using intelligence from the UK, feeding into local law enforcement led by UK operatives. I was one of them. We went out and conducted tactical operations on the ground in the Balkans and so on to actually disrupt the networks moving these people, because if you don't do that, then the flow will continue. And these people aren't only providing a demand, mm. they are a commodity for the for the Albanians and others well, who've been doing this for years. Well, absolutely. And as long well, as Henry, that commodity is flowing, we've, got a, we've, let got, me stop a, we've got a demand. Let me show you this package. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show you this package
0: now, folks, of exclusive footage. Henry's going to stay here with me. I want you at home to respond to this package. You can do that. Farage at gbnews.uk. Here's the package that Mark White has put together.
1: For those migrants who can't afford to pay the thousands of pounds for a small boat trip across the channel, this is where you'll find them. Hanging around the ferry ports of northwestern France. Just waiting for their chance to get into the port and onto the lorries. As we filmed, through the gloom, the camera catches sight of a lone figure, difficult to make out as they walk between the trailers in this lorry park. Suddenly, another makes a dash for one of the trucks. They're looking for anywhere they can squeeze themselves into. Inside the trailer is ideal, but when you're determined, any space will do. Part of the driver's routine these days are regular checks of their vehicles. They face the risk of fines if anyone is found on board and they haven't gone through the proper checks. This group of migrants have been searching for anything they can find to help them scale the perimeter fence. Having found this wooden pallet, They're heading for a secluded enough spot to jump over. The French police are everywhere and these young men know it, sneaking between the trailers, hoping to avoid detection within feet of the police patrols. Time and again, this migrant tried to jump onto lorries as they headed off to the port. Disappearing out of view as this police van arrives. Another driver flags the officers down as he's heard people trying to get into his vehicle. He thinks they may have been on the roof. Migrants will often cut through the canvas on top to get into the trailer. Quite understandably, attention has been focused of late on the small boats crisis. It is a highly visible means of entering the UK, unlike the clandestine method of hiding in the back of a lorry. And the numbers crossing by small boat just continue to climb. On Monday, this year's record for those crossing in a single day, almost 700, was smashed as many more than that took advantage of perfect weather conditions in the Channel. But the issue of migrants trying to smuggle themselves on board vehicles has never gone away. Around 8,000 were detected in the past year in enhanced checks by Border Force at both French and UK ports. These checks require huge resources. The added impact of policing the channel for small boats at the same time only adds to the strain. And although we know about those detected inside lorries at ports, there are no estimates for the number who've managed to get through. Only if they're caught will many try to claim asylum. If they make it to the UK, Most of these young men will end up working in the illegal economy. Mark White, GB News.
0: Well, once again, absolutely terrific work there, uh, exclusively revealing that this problem is... Still happening. And Henry Bolton, you know, some get detected, some get caught, but I'm sure an awful lot don't. Now, you know. solutions. We want solutions. Mm-hmm. Much of the country is enraged about this, especially 17.4 million Brexit voters who voted to get back <laughs> border Take control. Back control of our borders. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, in many ways, you know, an 80-seat Tory majority was this is going to be delivered Indeed. and we're now being humiliated. Do Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak give us any real options to sort this? Uh, no. No.
2: Um, I- Liz Truss is probably going to win this, this contest, um, I think her intent is good, but does she have the people available to her to provide her with workable solutions from a strategic level? Um, and in order to deliver that operational effect that we need on the ground to solve this? And I think the answer is no, because you've got all the problems in the Home Office structurally, in terms of mobility, the turnover of staff and so on, and there is no expertise in there. They are uh, administrators, they're, they're as border force people, but their expertise in, is in the sort of operational management of the border itself. But we've got to project way beyond this and address the whole flow of it, as well we as reorganise our borders. Don't we also
0: have to address the question of ECHR?
2: We do. Um, we have to have the legal framework and we have to ensure that we've got the freedom to, to deal with that as a legal. the legal tools have to be in place. We cannot have something that's going to obstruct it. Now, the ECHR provides ample opportunity for the legal people to get these people off the hook, the smugglers and the migrants. Now, the problem we've got here is that there is no overarching view of this. People in the Home Office do not understand, they cannot cannot connect the dots to ensure that they've got the right legal tools to deliver on the operational effect that they need should to have. Should we leave ECHI? Yes, we should. Yeah, if, we did that, if we did that, albeit an incompetent Home Office, but we might be in with half a chance. Well, then we would have the ability to do it. We would have the freedom to do it. My concern is that although we have the freedom and leaving the European Union gave us... A lot of freedom to, to improve our border management, but we've failed to do it because the government hasn 't had the strategic acumen or the knowledge to do it, and they will not the civil service will not go outside the civil service to draw on it, even to countries that have solved similar problems. in fact, Italy back in the early 2000s had a very similar problem with Albanians mm-hmm. moving migrants across the, the water from Albania to the east coast of Italy. They stopped that I was part of that that. Planning to stop that. It worked. It has just about stopped. There's a trickle, but they stopped it. We haven't gone to the Italians and asked how we haven't gone to the people who helped the Italians and asked how because the civil service is too insecure. It's a mess. The
0: next prime minister has got an awful lot on his or her plate.
2: and, And Nigel, if I may, we've still got the cocaine and the heroin that's coming in through the same routes and that is going through the roof. Our borders are insecure, and I've called it the largest or the biggest political scandal in the 21st century in Britain. The failure to, to properly secure and manage our borders. I think
0: that's a very strong point, Henry Bolton. Thank you. Now, one little victory, I think. It was here on GB News that we revealed exclusively that the Chichester Hotel, somewhere I've stayed before, in Wickford, was now being used to house those that had crossed the English Channel. We got on to the MP... For the constituency, Mark Francois, who I have to say uh, did pick this issue up and has campaigned hard on it. And our southeast correspondent, Ellie Costello, spoke to him about the Chichester Hotel earlier on today.
3: In a nutshell, I've been campaigning for some weeks to try and persuade the Home Office not to continue with what I've called their misguided proposals to use the Chichester Hotel near Wickford in my constituency to house cross-channel asylum seekers, And I've recently received a letter from the immigration minister, Kevin Foster, assuring me in writing that they are going to discontinue using the Chichester Hotel as soon as possible and at the latest within three months.
4: So is this the first time we've had official confirmation that the hotel was being used for cross channel asylum seekers? And what do you know of the detail about them being removed?
3: Well, well, no, we've known for some weeks that the hotel was intended for this purpose, and that's why I started campaigning against it. But the key sentence in the minister's letter, if I can read it for you, says, this is after I've made lots of representations against it. Quote, I've asked my officials to prioritise withdrawal from the Chichester Hotel as soon as our contractual obligations allow, certainly within three months.
0: Well, there'll be a sense of relief for many in Wickford this evening, and it is a victory for GB News and for Marc-Francois, MP. It is a victory, and yet they've got to go somewhere. There's another 1,000 coming today who've got to be housed somewhere too. In a moment, we'll talk about another little victory, those living in park homes who are now going to get the 400 quid after a campaign that we have been a part of. We'll also talk about the leader of a German province who's telling Germans, because of the gas crisis, simply not to shower anymore. Well, some of your reaction to that incredible footage that we showed you just a few minutes ago. One viewer says, my daughter came back from France last week with her family and dog. They found a stowaway under their caravan after they'd been through customs. They informed the authorities and they did not seem bothered like it was a normal occurrence. Well, the trouble is, I'm afraid it is a normal occurrence. This is happening on a huge scale. Martin says they've been coming for years. Where do they go? Well, I wonder, Martin. You know, officially, we're 67 million people. I wonder, really, how many people are actually living in this country. Karen says, it's absolutely outrageous what's happening to our country. It seems that it's only you who cares. Well, it's not me, just me, that cares, Karen. It's me that stands up and shouts about it and gets called the most horrendous names for doing so every single day on social media and by some in the street as well. And finally, another viewer says, how much footage do we need to see before this is stopped? Well, all I tell you, is the more pressure we at GB News, the People's Channel, put on the establishment, the more likely we are to get something done. And for the next Conservative Prime Minister, this issue alone, despite all the others, could be a disaster. We're well, joining me is Henry Hill, Deputy Editor of Conservative Home. Henry, this migrant story, this illegal migrant story, whether it's Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak, they've got a problem, haven't they? They do. The
4: visible loss of control in the channel is undermining one of the Conservative Party's big accomplishments over the past few years, which was people did feel, after the withdrawal from the European Union, that the government was in control. And now every boat that comes across visibly undermines that sense of control, and it will be potentially politically very dangerous for the government. The challenge facing the Prime Minister is that there aren't actually easy answers to this. It's very easy to talk tough. We've had Home Secretary after Home Secretary talking tough. But the actual structural challenges to effective policy, you know, are you going to withdraw from the European Convention of Human Rights? If you're not going to withdraw from the Human Convention, and and let's be clear, this proposal to simply change the Human Rights Act into a bill with a new name, legally speaking, is pretty meaningless. Then all of these legal challenges are going to remain, and you're not Going to be able to do anything about that. So the government, I think, has fallen into a problem where they talk really tough. They yeah. get public expectations over-promise up. And overpromise yeah. and underdeliver time yeah. again, and it corrodes. It's not just that they fail on the policy, but they corrode broader public
0: trust in government at the same time. No, I agree with that. Just quickly, I mean, of your con home active subscribers, you know, if you put to them the question, should we leave ECHR? What would you estimate the response would be?
4: Um, I imagine you might get a majority in favour. Most of the... I wouldn't, I wouldn't know for certain. Sure. It, would be a, it would potentially be quite a narrow majority because our panel is quite split. I think the question is, what do you do when you leave? Because the ECHR, you, simply, you could, for example, simply transpose the ECHR into British law so all of the rights exist, but they exist as Acts of Parliament and on that basis without an appeal to a foreign court. So
0: it would depend on the exact mechanism, but I think you'd probably have a majority at this point. Mm, I think you probably would too. Now, over the weekend, Michael Gove, who'd kept pretty quiet for a few weeks, unlike him, uh, <laughs> comes out with a, an article in yesterday's Sunday papers, um, really quite, um, quite dismissive of... Liz Truss. Um, is this blue on blue? Because Rishi's responding. By the way, I heard today that Rishi's going to stand up for the motorist. i would never heard that from him before. Had you?
4: No. One of the amusing things about Rishi's campaign is that since he's fallen behind, he's suddenly discovered, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not going to die wondering. And so he's coming <laughs> out with all of these policies, <laughs> which I suspect if Rishi had been the front runner, we would not have heard from him in a million years. So.
0: Blue on blue, Henry. Blue on blue. Is it doing
4: the party harm? Of course it is. Of course it is. Fundamentally, this is an internal Conservative Party contest, and historically this would have been resolved by MPs. You could have maybe had a short membership round at the end, you know, two weeks, in and out, get it done. Yeah. Instead, we're having effectively an internal contest, but it's being conducted as a public contest. There are televised hustings, there are televised... GB News did one on Friday. GB News yep. did one on Friday. There were televised leadership debates, there's your op-eds and everything else, and it, the whole structure incentivizes people who have been members of the government for years to attack both each other <clears throat> and the government's record. Now, you know, I'm a I'm a Conservative Party member and supporter, and I don't come away from this leadership contest feeling particularly optimistic. If you're an ordinary voter, I dread to think the
0: impression you're getting of yeah, the party. Well, and maybe we saw a little bit of that in today's times, suggesting that Boris is now more popular as leader than the <laughs> other two added up together. Yes, I mean, this is slightly
4: dismaying, because, of course, I think people need to remember there was a reason that Boris Johnson left. Everyone was rightly very angry at him. He lost the command, the confidence of his cabinet. But this is what happens when people leave office. It's remarkable. It's happening so quickly. But you, you think we get Warren Brown on our screens now as a respected elder statesman? So John Major is now back as a, as a national as a national favourite. Neither of those not men. No, no, not here. <laughs> but neither of those men in in their time in office were, were, were yeah. viewed that way. And I suspect this will the same thing will happen with Boris Johnson. Over time, <sighs> people will be like, oh well, if only we'd had Boris. But the important thing is remember is he's had an overall majority, a big overall majority, yeah. for more than two years, and he's failed to deliver what he promised to deliver. That's on him. No, I think that's right. And just, you know, final thought, we've got two more weeks of this. I know, it's a bit of a death march, isn't it? This really, the, what they should have done in retrospect is there should have been a longer MP round so that MPs could spend more time winnowing down the candidates. Yep. Might have given someone like Kevin not more time to come through. Mm-hmm. And then the member round, which Conservative Home supports, should have been a final decisive yeah, two-week on. campaign.
0: Henry Hill, thank you for coming in and thank joining you. us. They can't even run their own party. They're supposed to run the country. Goodness only knows. Now, another little campaign, because we like campaigns here at GB News, being the people's channel. We talked last month about the £400 that's going to go back to people to help with their energy bills. That was the big Soon Act proposal. But it appeared there was a group of people who may well miss out. Those living in park homes, residential homes, um, mobile homes, call them what you will. Well, Alfie Best, of course, is chairman of Wildcrest Parks. Good to see you again, Alfie. This is always mine. And we said that basically people living in these homes and, 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 you know, not the wealthiest people in our society were not going to get the £400 and we've been screaming and shouting about it and you've been screaming and shouting about it. And it looks like
5: things might just have improved. Well... From the help of GB News and yourself, uh, giving us a voice uh, for a lot of people out there, Um, now we've got over the 10,000 petition that we needed, signed petition, uh, which is running now in excess of 11,000. Government have accepted it. Government have notified that they are now making provisions. We don't know what those provisions are. They have said that they are going to get the £400. Right. Um, They have said within the next month, or eight weeks, we will have a full repetition of how they're going to distribute that, but it will go, hopefully, directly to the resident, and they're the people that need it most. Terrific. Now, that's
0: that's, that's really good news, and I'm pleased we had you in to talk about it a few weeks ago. Thank you. And if we can change things and improve people's lives even a little bit, that's a very good thing. More generally, Alfie, you know, you've got lots and lots of people living... In your parks and you know all the other people that own the parks in this in this industry. How scared are people about the cost of living crisis?
5: I think it's a tragic moment at this moment in time that anybody but especially park home residents that were being left out mm. and the cost of living has spiralled out of control at no other time greater than it has now. Mm. When you think of It's not only the cost of living that's being hit, it's the cost of fuel. So, public transport that is going up, cost of fuel's going up, cost of food's going up. Everything's gone up. And that's never really happened.
0: Yeah, let alone filling up the car and all of these things. No, it's very, very difficult. Well, Alfie, thank you for coming back in and to report a success.
5: The pleasure's mine, and I really think it lays at your door for helping us. Thank you.
0: Well... Delighted. Alfie, thank you very much indeed. There we are. You see, we can change things. We just have to stand up, make the arguments, get people behind us, and just sometimes politicians do actually listen, which is great. Now, we're told that we're going to be incentivised in this country not to use energy. Now, you almost couldn't make this up, could you? There's going to be a plan announced in the next month or two to tell us if we don't use fuel during peak times, we'll get some money off our bills. We're following in a similar vein in Germany, and we always think of Germany as this wonderful modern country that with this incredible post-1945 success. Well, run your eyes along this. The Prime Minister of the German state of Baden-Württemberg. Now, Baden-Württemberg is the wealthiest of all the states, of all the lander in Germany. Now, he is a leading member of the Green Movement in Germany and he's saying to people that in his house we usually only heat one room. It's healthier if you do that. And then he goes on to say, the washcloth is also a useful invention. He suggested that he doesn't shower very often and he wants others to do the same. I mean, you almost couldn't make this up. We're telling people to lower their quality of life, to lower their standards of living, to lower their standards of personal hygiene, because Mrs. Merkel and others in this country who are going headlong for net zero now actually admit that the lights may go out this winter. It isn't just the UK that's been led by idiots. Germany, too. Many other countries have been led by idiots. And all of it because we bow down before the image of the great Greta Thunberg. Well, if you think declining living standards make sense, so be it. Some more reactions from you to that little video film we showed you earlier. Darrell says, nothing surprises me anymore. Our government long ago lost interest in protecting our borders, and it will only get Worse. Susan says, I don't think I'm surprised anymore. This government is useless. It doesn't seem to be able to get anything right. Ian says, what would they stop? We are governed by donkeys. (laughs) Another viewer says, it's been happening for years. It's not a shock. It is just a regular occurrence. Well, I tell you what, a lot of people out there are very, very upset and angry, especially those who are legally coming to the United Kingdom, which is now a lengthy, expensive process with exams to pass. And they see others jumping the queue ahead of them and doing it illegally. And they, perhaps, are the angriest group of people of all. And they've got a right to be. On a jollier note, we've had some pretty heavy stuff tonight. On a jollier note, I'll be joined in a moment on Talking Pies by Bobby Crush, who is celebrating 50 years in showbiz. It's my favourite time of the day. Yes, it's time for Talking Pines and about time too. Before I introduce my guest, here he is in 2018. He's playing the piano, he's singing, he's really rather good at both of those things. And the show is Liberace, live from heaven. Have a look at this. There he is. <laughs> Bobby Craft, welcome to Talking Pint. Well, happy days.
6: Nice to meet you, Nigel. Good to meet you. Yeah, the, um... what about all that? The dodgy wig. Yeah, well. The, um, uh, the, the uh, American accent. Uh, and as you say, it was... Uh, uh, my appearing in Las Vegas for the first time ever yep. and uh, I was uh, thrilled to bits and the show went well it went great um, uh, there were a number of us that were uh, involved um, uh, that they got some personalities from the 60s, 70s and 80s who had never played in America before and taken us all over to, to Vegas and it included uh, my lovely friend Sue Pollard yep. and Anita Harris and Cannon and Ball and Bernie Clifton and a whole stack of people and it was an amazing an experience, just amazing, because you get to a point in your life when you think, you know, I've had this great career, I've been going 50 years, mm. but I'm never going to play Las Vegas, and then suddenly you get a <laughs> call out of the blue, so what's not well, to love? you make
0: your own luck in life. And I guess you do. No, I think yeah, to a yeah. large extent you do. Bobby, it all starts off, East End boy, you know, growing up in Leighton, why music, why singing, why dancing, why, how, I ca- why, what? I don't know. I can't explain it. I don't
6: come from... Um, uh, a, a musical family or a showbiz family. I'm a first-generation performer. I think it came as a bit of a shock to my mum and dad, uh, but my grandparents in Canning Town in the East End yep. um, had an upright piano in their um, front room, which nobody ever showed any interest in. It was like a family heirloom. And I'm told, of course I don't remember this, but I'm told that as a four-year-old, um, I used to pick up the piano lid and instead of bashing at the keys to make as much noise out of it as I could, which most kids would do, Mm, mm. I used to single-fingeredly pick out little tunes. And then my mum and dad thinking that perhaps I had some degree of musical talent persuaded my grandparents to transfer the piano from their house to ours and the moment it became part of our household I was on it every day and I just got better and better.
0: And of course before telly before telly arrived people did have pianos in their houses people did sing, dance, uh, recite poems I mean we've lost a lot of that haven't we really? Uh,
6: Indeed we have Uh, it it was their way of um, entertainment, that and the radio the yeah. wireless, the wireless, um, <laughs> and then of course TV came along and changed everything. But thank yeah. God it did because it was through TV that I got my big break. And here well, we I'm, are.
0: I'm really interested in that because for younger people watching this and listening to this, because we're on DAB radio too, Huey Green, <laughs> opportunity knocks. Yeah. I mean, you know, we see the big talent shows of today, you know, the Strictly's and and, and all the rest of it. But actually. Hughie Green and Opportunity Knocks was massive, wasn't
2: it?
6: It was massive. And, of course, it was the forerunner to things like X Factor. And Hughie Green was the Simon Cowell of his day. Yeah. And, of course, the other thing you have to remember is that at that point, we only had three stations. We had BBC One, BBC Two and ITV. So the viewing audience wasn't um, diluted. We were getting, uh, for Opportunity Knocks, 16, 17 million people per show. And for a young performer, you know, making his debut, that is an incredible springboard. And from it, um, I got a lot of recognition. You won the
0: thing, and yeah.
6: Well, I won the thing six weeks running and got my first recording contract with Philips Records, uh, which was the same label as my all-time favourite singer, Dusty Springfield, so I was (laughs) very chuffed about that. But, you know, within a few weeks, I'd got an album in the charts, a single in the charts, and I was in the London Palladium for a season. So it had the most incredible impact. And um, there are certain dates that you always remember. And the date for me that sticks out more than any other is the 18th of September, 1972, which is when I made my debut on Opportunity Knox. Yeah. So on the 18th of September, 2022, I will have been officially in this business 50
0: years. We're going to come back to that. Yeah. We're, going to come, we're going to come back to that. And what was Huey Green like? Well, it's funny because a lot of people ask me... Because he was a hurricane pilot during the war. Yeah. Known as a bit of a drinker, I think.
6: Yep. Yeah. And um, a, a big temper. I mean, yeah. I, I never did an opportunity not without seeing at least one flare-up on the set, <laughs> uh, which always stemmed from Huey. And it was like <laughs> he always wanted to make his point that he was there, it was his show. And it, 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 it was a bit of bullying, actually, because he, he would always go for, like, a, a cameraman or a runner yeah, or really. somebody who probably couldn't, you know, uh, talk back to him yeah. or whatever. But I... I have to speak as I find, because a lot of people ask me about him. I got on with him really, really well. And I think he appreciated the fact that um, whenever I was interviewed um, uh, on TV or radio or whatever, I always acknowledged him for giving me my start. Uh, He got very... Twitchy about people who used Opportunity Knocks to get into the business and then never refer to it again. So yeah. he actually appreciated the fact that I...
0: But you were a kid.
6: I was, I was 18.
0: And suddenly you're, you're on at the
6: Palladium? Um, yes. Uh, uh, out of almost nowhere? Out of nowhere, out of nowhere. And um, I, I went in to support Jack Jones. Um, not the new Jack Jones, <laughs> the, 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 the pop star, but the old Jack Jones, the crooner. And uh, I, th- I think he was a little wary of me because, as you say, I came right out of the blue and suddenly his support act was somebody who's only been on the scene yeah. a matter of weeks. And because I was having such a um, a big following at that point at the start, I'm um, th- not blowing my own trumpet, but I do think that I bought... Uh, a, a lot of people into the theatre, and there were maybe as many to see me as they were to see because him. Because
0: seventeen million people had watched yeah, your and, opportunity, and you. Yeah, know? <laughs> and I think he got a bit antsy about it. But <laughs> and, you there know, you go. Over these decades, I mean, you know, you've obviously played music. Sung. You've been in... I don't know how many TV shows you've been in.
6: Well, you know, there were countless shows that people like myself could do because um, you, you went from a show like Opportunity Knots and there'd be Val Doonican had a series or Larry Grayson had a series or there were things like The Golden Shot yeah. and Blankety Blank and Celebrity Squares, yeah. all of which I did. Um, but, of course, over the years... They dwindle, and, you know, there aren't the opportunities now for people like myself, unless you do uh, a reality show or yeah. um, lucky enough you to get into been, a you soap- Have you ever been tempted by reality TV? Um, I have said to my agent before now that I would, uh, I would do the jungle at the drop of a hat. Would you? I yeah. would, but I wouldn't do Strictly. Because no. I'm a horrible dancer.
0: <laughs> it, says, it
6: says on my
0: CV, um, moves as directed. But I think you have to take that with a very large pinch of salt. And, you know, you've written stuff as well. You've been involved in comedy. And Panto. You love Panto. Panto, I do. I'm, I'm just about to do my 37th.
6: My 37th Panto at a new theatre that's just opened in Isha in Surrey. And I'm going to be playing Widow Twanky in Aladdin. Uh, And, of course, when I did Panto as an 18-year-old and I started out, I'd be doing all the juvenile leads, you know, like Aladdin or, you know, Jack going up the beanstalk or Prince Charming. But as you get older... Um, it's not seemly to play you used those. You
0: still love all this, don't you? Oh yeah, of course I, can I see do. it. I yeah. can see it. Absolutely <laughs> it's,
6: my, it's my reason to be, but you can't keep playing juvenile leads uh, parts unless you're Jess Conrad and you can go on and do it until you're 106. Well, you know?
0: well, we did have Jess Conrad. We had him in here, <laughs> I and, know. I, and he thinks he's
6: going to go on forever. <laughs> I and... Know. and he probably will because he's unstoppable. Uh, but um, in 2000, I played my first dame and uh, that's the part that I've been playing ever since. And it's great fun, but it's hard work. I mean, we do two shows a day. Yeah, you've got uh, the best a day. Some days in Isha we're going to do three shows a day. Wow. And I have ten costume changes per show, so it's, it's hard work. Yeah. So at the end of the evening, when the dancers knock on your door and say, "Do you want to come clubbing?" I say, "Oh no, 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 no! (laughs) I just want to go back to the hotel for a."
0: Well, you've done very, very well for yourself. Thank you. You you know what? You've done incredibly well. What a great career! I I love your enthusiasm. Thank you for what you do. So the big fifty, the big fifty years, is coming up. How is Bobby Crush going to celebrate
6: that? Well, um, I'm going into London's top cabaret venue, Crazy Cox in Piccadilly. And I'm going to do a celebratory show. And I'm taking my band in. (laughs) Hark at me, my band. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, I I take four musicians in. I have a a, a bass player, a second keyboard, um, a lead guitarist and a drummer. And it's only a small venue, you know, so the noise is going to be amazing. But um, we've already sold out the um, 7 o'clock show. And uh, we've had to put in a matinee. So I'm also on the, on the day going to do a, a three o'clock matinee. And I think there's about 20 seats left for that. And, and then Fantastic. So And it'll be uh, a look back on my career. I'm going to play some of the stuff that I um, you know, recorded early on in my career. I'll do some uh, new stuff. I've just put together a huge um, Leslie Brickers medley, which will have things like what kind of fool am I and who can I turn to and pure imagination and I've been working on that this last month Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. Rumours of a book? Oh I'm writing at the moment yeah I'd already started it and then lockdown happened and of course all the work stopped and uh, I thought well this is the perfect time to go back and take another look at what I'd previously written tweak it a bit, add to it, and I'm hoping that at some point next week, I'll be in a... Uh, next week? Uh, next year, rather, I'll be in a situation whereby I can offer um, a finished manuscript to um, a publisher. Well, good
0: luck with that. Thank you. And the kind of entertainment that you've been involved with... Yep. ..for these 50 years, do you think in 50 years' time there will still be the want for, you know, panto, for... Or is it changing? Uh, it, Are it, our tastes changing in terms well, of Well, it's what?
6: changed. Uh, the, the business has changed beyond recognizability um, uh, uh, to, to the one that I came into in 1972. At that point, uh, summer seasons were the norm, you know, and somebody like me would pack a bag and disappear off to Blackpool or yeah. Torquay or Bournemouth for 16 weeks. That's all stopped
0: although the seaside has had a bit of a comeback, hasn't
6: it? Well, of course, staycations, you yeah. know, but, yeah. but, but uh, theatres have got out of the habit of staging summer seasons. I think that they're missing out. I, I think this is now the time to revive the whole yeah. um, idea of having summer seasons. Um, but the, uh, the, the panto situation bothers me slightly because um, you've got to be so careful now about content
0: and um, yeah, Any joke is dangerous.
6: Well, yeah, I mean, we've had to look very carefully at the script that we're going to be working from yeah. so that, you know, we don't upset anybody. Um, but I, I fear that at some point my role, the dame role, mm. will become extinct because people will say, oh, we shouldn't have a man dressing yeah. up as a yeah. woman. Yeah,
0: Christopher Biggins was saying this the other day as oh, well. Oh, was he indeed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But,
6: but uh, the, the thing is, is that when I play dame, you're never left in any doubt whatsoever that it's a fella in a frock, <laughs> OK? Um, and, and I'm not taking the mickey out of women. I love no, women. Of course. Uh, my, most of my um, closest friends are uh, ladies. And uh, I wouldn't want to do anything to um, offend them, uh, but it's a it's a tradition that I think it would be very <coughs> sad to lose
0: if, if if it just goes no I agree too with that. Far. no I agree yeah. with that Bobby Crash congratulations on fifty years in showbiz thank you very much Great thank to you have
6: here's you. to another fifty Absol-
0: happy days <laughs> Jeez, thank you very <laughs> Thanks, much Sergeant. indeed it's time for barrage the Farage but before I get to that. Just a quick thought. I've been hesitant to talk about this, but I'm going to say it now. We have enough data to show and to prove that the official statistics every week show an extra thousand people a week are dying in this country, not of Covid. Why are deaths up in this country? Well, Mark Stein, who follows me on this channel, has talked about this a lot. But some may well be from the effects of having three jabs. You know, heart attacks in young men, things like that. But basically, the reason deaths are up is because we're now just beginning to pay the price of lockdown, to pay the price of emptying our hospitals, of not checking people for diabetes. And we now unbelievably have 300,000 people in Britain with a positive diagnosis for cancer who are not getting treated. We will look back on the whole period of restrictions and lockdowns. One of the greatest mistakes Western governments ever made. Now, on to Barrage the Farage. Jim asks, if you could, would you support Rishi or Liz? Well, look, you know, I mean, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think Liz is the least worst but that's not a particularly strong recommendation from me. Lewis asks, How will you find time to continue your present GB News show when the monarchy is abolished and you're elected as the first president of the United Kingdom? Well, Lewis, I don't know. I'm all for constitutional change, but I wouldn't want us to have a president as in France or America and we'd keep a Prime Minister, and then we'd have a President who'd be some sort of duffer, you know, somebody who'd failed... Perhaps Neil Kinnock or somebody would become President. I'd rather keep the monarchy. I really, really would. Um, David asks me, have you thought of running for the job of London Mayor? There's no let-up tonight with you lot, is there, at all? Um, No, not really. Um, I would think about it if postal voting was abolished, if early postal voting was abolished. Sadiq Khan had won that election weeks before the date itself and that's because in large parts of the east end huge numbers of people were signed up for postal votes whether they themselves ever saw the ballot papers is open to question i've got time for one more let's keep going do you think the ukraine military forces can sweep russia out including regaining crimea no i don't really i think it's i think it's going to be a horrible bloody stalemate it may well go on for year after year after year is my view i certainly don't think uh, that's, that Kiev or anywhere like that is under threat. But I think in Donbass, no, we're going to be stuck there for a very, very long time.